Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 634 of the Survival Podcast. Today is March 29, 2011. It is a Tuesday, and I'm all jazzed up because we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects today. Growing our own food, as anybody that's listened to this show for more than a day or two would know, I'm very, very passionate about Americans reclaiming the ability to feed ourselves healthy, nutritious food, not genetically modified crap that they pass off to us as food that's also been sprayed with herbicides and pesticides. And that's getting to be the case, not so much the herbicides and pesticides, but the genetically modified crap, even in our organic foods, we're dealing with that now. Uh, you know, artificial sweeteners and organic products, things like that. It just doesn't make any sense at all uh, that some of this stuff's going on in the organic world. And I think we need to seize life by the horn, so to speak, and take this back for ourselves. That's part of being the revolution. The difference today, though, is I'm going to do something I haven't done since the very early days of the show. I think around somewhere around episode 110, 120 was the last time I really went very, very in-depth into container gardening. And I realized that I've learned a ton since then. I mean, we're talking about two years ago. And I've learned a ton about container gardening that I want to pass on to you today. I found some incredible resources and some great stuff for today. I did a lot of research for today's show. Not so much for the knowledge, but to find places where you could visually see how to do these stuff, these things. I found a PDF that's uh, like almost 40 pages, I think, on building self-watering containers that will be in today's show notes. And that, that alone is just awesome. Uh, it's being given away for free by, by whoever created it, but... Um, if you bought it as an ebook for uh, 20 bucks, I, I think you would have got your money's worth. I've got a great video to share with you today. Um, I won't play it because it's very visual, but uh, I'll give you that as a resource and talk about that. All kinds of stuff with container gardening. And, and if you can tell I am a little jazzed up about it, I'll tell you why when we get into the main topic. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors because... Let's face it, folks, they do a lot to help take care of you by helping to be sure that the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Today's sponsor of the day number one is Fortress Self-Defense Consultants. You know, I, I often say that if you don't have ammo, that a gun is nothing but an inexpensive, or a very expensive club, inexpensive by no means, a very expensive club. But, you know, what also has to go with gun ownership and ammunition is training. I think there's a lot of people out there that would be better if they owned maybe 50 or 60% of their, their current collection and had invested the rest of that money in a high-quality training on how to use those guns safely and effectively, especially in a deadly force situation. I don't think there's a single, there is no such thing as, as too much training when it comes to firearms. The really great thing about Fortress Self-Defense Consultants is if you can't get to them, they'll come to you. If you put a small group together, get in touch with them, they'll come out at a range or even at your private facility, and they'll provide that training on site. So get in touch with Frank Sharp Jr. over there today and get yourself some training on firearms. Next up today is the Berkey Guy with Directive21.com. That's Directive21.com. Folks, the one thing we need to live beyond everything else other than air is water. We can go a week or more without food and survive. We're going to be miserable, and we're not going to be in really good shape, but we can make it. People have done it. 
No one goes more than about 48 hours without water before they drop over and die and require at that point being planted into the ground to rot back to the earth. That is how important water is. When it comes to taking care of my water for everyday needs to get crap out of it like chlorine and fluoride, or to make sure that I have a way to purify water in a long-term disaster scenario, I can't think of a better at-home product than the Berkey water filter system. It's what I use personally, it's what I recommend, and I think it's probably the best bang for your buck out there when you look at how much water it can filter for you on one set of elements. It's also proven, been around for a very long time, and you are going to get first-class service from Jeff Gleason, the Berkey guy. And remember, he has some other really great, cool products available on his site as well, so check them out while you're there. All right, um, next up today, I want to tell you about our gear shop. we got some new stuff in the gear shop, finally. Like, this is cool. We have these really cool lanyards. They've actually been there a while, but I haven't really talked about them. you got to check those out. I'll put a link in today's show notes. But what's really cool that we just got in are these dog tag bottle openers. They're designed to either wear around your neck or use on your key ring. And they're a little dog tag. They've got Val on one side, the Survival Podcast on the other. Uh, but they've got a function to them where they open up a bottle for you. So they're a great little product. We're selling them for like four, four fifty, four twenty five, something like that. So really affordable, great little thing to give out and share the brand with if you want to do that. Uh, they're in stock, so they're shipping immediately. And uh, while you're there, maybe pick some other stuff up. But check out the bottle openers. And the big thing is, most of those products that are built like that are made out of like aluminum or a low grade steel or something like that, and they kind of get weak over time. These are high quality, high uh, high t- high straight uh, stainless steel. So the last, you know, for about probably as long as you could ever want a bottle opener to last. Great little affinity item. Check that out. Check the other stuff out at the gear shop. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You get exclusive content available only to members, and you get a lot of great discounts, including discounts at the Survival Podcast Gear Shop uh, of 10% on all your orders. So uh, check out the MSB today. You're supporting the show at 20 cents an episode if you do that. And also remember, I do take silver for the MSB. Those of you that have been asking how do you pay by silver, go to the sign-up page and click on Pay by Silver at the bottom, and you'll get a form that you can fill out. You can either pay by cash, check, money, order, or silver, and everything you need to know is on that form. All right, um, we're we're now going to you know get into this topic, and I want to tell you why I'm jazzed up about it at first. I've been a little bit depressed with my move. I know that sounds insane because I've been working on this dream for seven years since I first bought the property that I originally was leasing to my niece and nephew. Well, the reason I've been depressed is this move is happening later in the year than I had planned, way late for gardening. It's going to be the end of next month before we're fully detached from here and all the way up there full time. So that's yet another month, and this is like a critical month. There should be plants in the ground and stuff like that. Additionally, I had the good fortune to meet Paul Wheaton, and I've learned some things about hugel culture and terracing, and I've met a person with a, a piece of heavy equipment that's willing to work with me uh, that, that's going to come out. We're going to do some videos of how we're going to do some terracing and stuff and put in a little pond and things like that. So all of that stuff's pushing me out way out into the year where I am not really going to get a lot of production this year out of my in-ground uh, stuff. But then I thought, Jack, you're a fool. Because you can get containers up and running so fast. Why don't you just focus for production purposes on container gardening, getting your greenhouse and aquaponics system in this year, and your terracing done, and maybe your production from all of the other stuff won't be till next year, but you can utilize containers even though you have five acres. And that's why I think today's show is for everybody. I want to do this show because I want people that have an apartment And maybe you don't even have a balcony, but maybe you have a work environment that you work in that if you talk to your boss, 
You can say, can I put a couple containers there and take care of them and grow some food? And your boss would probably be like, I don't care. You don't want to dig the ground up or anything, so go ahead. I want to do this show because I believe that when you are done with today's show, you'll be able to take this information and you will be able to produce something for yourself to eat no matter what your situation is. I don't care where you are or who you are. If you really want to grow something, even if it's just some herbs, you'll be able to do that. So I want to do this for all the people that say, I don't have space, I don't have acreage, I don't have land. But I also want to make sure that all the people that do have land realize this show's for you too. And I think we can start out with why we want these for all gardeners. Well, one of the big reasons is, even if you have land, you can grow crops that are outside of your geographic zone rating. So, for instance, one of the things we can grow in a container is citrus. Um, I'll give you a couple of different options here. Uh, there's a, a variety of lemon called Meyer that you can grow fairly, fairly far north. Uh, limes, especially the key limes, do great in containers. Orange, one of the best oranges you can grow in containers. It's fairly hardy. is is called Venus, but it's spelled V-E-N-O-U-S, not like the planet's name. Uh, and those are just one example of something that, especially if we take a nice large container, put it on some caster wheels so we can move it around easily, that simply when we get into a situation where the temperature is going to be too low, we can move it inside a home. So right out of the gate, no matter who you are, the fact that you can expand what you can grow where you are is a great reason to consider container gardening. The next one, though, is it also lets you use land for, for the crops that really need space. Let's say you do have space. And you want to grow something like corn or a very large sprawling variety of be uh, beans or squash or something like that. Well, those take up a lot of garden space. And then the problem for the gardener is you're like, look, man, I want to grow some tomatoes and peppers and some of the stuff everybody grows. And that's and, and some lettuce and things like that. I want to do these things that everybody grows and I want to have a lot of them available and because we're going to eat that. You know, it's not really a long-term storage food. Maybe I'm not trying to make enough tomatoes here to, to can 50 pints at the end of the year or 50 quarts at the end of the year, but I want that stuff. So it's sometimes hard for you to give up that garden space to that one zucchini plant that takes up like eight or nine square feet when you know there could be eight tomatoes in there or four tomatoes and four peppers. Well, with your containers, you can take those plants that do well in containers, like peppers, like tomatoes, like herbs, and you can move them into your container systems, and you can use your beds if you have them for larger varieties of plants. The next one is, they, it really does allow you to grow food anywhere you can find sun. Like, the only thing you need, in addition to a container, to grow food is sunlight. Can't do it in a dark closet, right? There's people that grow things in closets. We're not going to talk about that today, right? The hydro guys, right? Um, and it's funny to me. Every time I get an email from somebody that's looking at, like, aquaponics equipment, hydroponics equipment, they're like, man, all these sites are built for guys that grow, grow pot in their closets. Uh, but there's some good product out there that's come out of that industry, I guess. Uh, but, you know... Without a grow light, we need sunlight. And really, we need to look to sunlight because it's a low-energy input. We don't have to do anything except move the plant to where the sun is. So the reason that we need to consider containers is it gives us the flexibility that nothing else does. We're not going to be turning soil over. We're not going to be building beds. We take a container. We put potting soil in it. We plant in it. And that's pretty much it. And we can have perfect soil from day one. So we have the ability to grow food anywhere we can find sunlight. The next thing is it opens up new spacing opportunities. And what I mean by that is what I was saying at the beginning. Let's say that you live in an apartment and you have a tiny porch. 
And there is no way on God's green earth you can really grow much on your porch. Maybe your porch is on the south side of the building. So you don't even get sun. So I say you can grow it anywhere you can find sun. You go, Jack, I don't have space or sun. I had nothing. Well, all of a sudden, since you're doing it in containers, and it's not going to require you to, to dig up ground, uh, and they're portable and they can be moved, all of a sudden, friends, co-workers, uh, office space, things like that, you can talk to people and say, look, I'd like to bring a container here and grow some food in it. Uh, it's going to be really pretty. I'm going to take care of it. You don't have to do anything. And I'll even throw a couple of the tomatoes to you or something like that. Most people aren't going to have a problem with that, and it's reasonable that you could set it up and maintain it, especially with self-watering containers that maybe need to be watered once a week, which I'm going to talk about a lot later on today. Uh, so but it opens up these new opportunities. And then here's a really great one. It allows you to turn annuals into perennials. I've talked about doing this before, but I'm going to mention it again today. One perfect example is the pepper. And I don't care what kind of pepper it is. Most people think that peppers are annuals, and that's because we live in a country where every year, just about every speck of the United States of America, especially the continental U.S., goes below freezing for at least one day. Now, here's the thing about a pepper plant. If it goes down near or below freezing for one day, it dies, and it's gone. And you go, see, it's an annual. But if you live somewhere where it never got down below, like, say, 35 degrees, if you live somewhere where the pepper could survive the evenings, The pepper will kind of lose some leaves and go a little bit deciduous on you, and maybe you prune it back a little bit just to help the structure, and then next spring it just starts growing, and it produces peppers like lightning because that root structure's down there, the plant structure's there, it's ready to go. Pepper is a perennial. Well, if you have your peppers in a container, and maybe not all your peppers, maybe just one or two nice plants, you can winter them over by bringing them in, Any nice sunny day where it's well above 40 degrees, you go ahead and put your peppers back outside. They'll get a little sad if they're not getting enough sun from a window or something like that, but they'll make it through, especially if you put them out there whenever it is the right time, whenever you know you can, which might be four or five hours a day. In a lot of places where it's going to freeze every night, you can still get four or five hours a day over 40 degrees in the direct sun. So all of a sudden we could take some of our annuals, turn them into perennials, and in February, instead of dealing with these little tiny pepper plants that are about the size of a blade of grass and coaxing them along for two months and getting them up to where they're, you know, about six inches tall and then getting them out into the garden after the last frost date and hoping we don't get a late frost that kills them, we've got great big healthy pepper plants to get some early peppers out of. How cool is that? Without containers, none of this happens. Next up today, I want to talk a little bit about some crops that are ideal for containers and just to get your mind thinking and realize how much you can grow. I'm going to go through this part fast because I want to spend a lot of time on being creative and self-watering containers today, but I want you to really understand it's not just about growing a few tomatoes and a few peppers, that it's better than that. The first thing we can do when we do container gardening is we can grow any kind of green vegetable you can think of. What I mean by greens is lettuce, kale, spinach, um, New Zealand spinach, beets for greens, anything that you're going to use to make salad greens. Arugula is another great one. So all greens of all kinds. And the greens, here's one of the really great things. Let's say we're going to plant a tomato. So we take our container and we put our tomato dead smack in the middle of that container. Now eventually we know that tomato is going to get huge and it's going to like take over the whole container. The big sprawling plant, especially some of the bush varieties, the terminate varieties that spread more laterally than up that are great for containers. But it's going to take a month or two. Well, we can plant lettuce or arugula or any kind of green all around that tomato. 
And by the time the tomato overtakes those greens, we've harvested them two or three times by doing cut and come again, which is where we take our shears and we cut some of the leaves off of them. So greens don't just have to have their dedicated containers. Anytime you're starting up a new container early in the year and you're putting that little pepper plant or that little tomato plant or in the long-growing areas, you can. this is a beautiful thing. You can start your tomatoes or peppers from seed right in the container. So all the time that that plant is growing, it can be surrounded by greens. And you can do that with other things. Greens are just great for it. And greens are great for your container growing as a whole. And if you could harvest even two salads a week off of your patio, you can change your dietary intake for the better. You can take some control of your food supply. And I want you to think about this. People look at greens as being kind of the boring part of gardening. It's actually one of the more cost-saving measures you can take. Go down to Tom Thumb or any good grocery store. And don't even look for organic. Look for a good salad mix of greens. And realize what you pay per pound for that. It will shock you. In some cases, you'll pay more per pound for good garden greens than you can buy meat for. And it's insane when they're that easy to grow. But that's what that's what yuppieism has done to America. The easiest thing in the world to grow, we're paying the most high premium for today. Then go look at what the cost of organically produced greens is. And you'll be shocked. Next up, let's talk about tomatoes and peppers for a minute because that's what everybody wants to grow. Everybody I know that gardens grows tomatoes and peppers. Tomatoes are the king of the garden. More tomatoes are grown by Americans that garden than any other two crops combined. That's how popular tomatoes are. So if we're looking at growing tomatoes, you can grow any tomato you want, honestly. And if you put a trellis up on your deck, you could trellis tomatoes 10 feet in the air on the back of a, a patio if you wanted to. Um, but there are some stuff that's really good to grow in the compact situation. I'll give you some varieties. One's called Tumbler. Tumbler's a great tomato to kind of do in a small hanging basket. It's designed to just kind of spill over. So if you want to start taking advantage of, you know, you have this little bitty uh, apartment patio, and you don't have that much floor space, but you look up overhead and you've got this roof. Well, you put a few eye hooks up there and you can hang some baskets. And one of the things you could put in one of those baskets would be something like strawberries. That's another option. But you could also do tomatoes, and tumbler's a good one to do for that. Kind of more of your conventional uh, tomato to grow on the patio, you know, having a container that sits on the ground, is one called Patio Princess. You'll find these those two in almost any nursery you go to that sells tomato plants. Another great one you probably will have to get um, seed and start yourself is called Tiny Tim. Uh, there's also one called Yellow Cranberry. Those are two great ones that can be grown low level or from a hanging basket. And then the last one, like if you want a big old beefsteak style tomato, you want something, you cut a slice of that and throw that on a big old uh, you know, half pound burger and it'll cover it with one slice, Bush Goliath. And you'll find Bush Goliath at just about every nursery as well. So those are your tomatoes. Moving on to peppers. Here's the rule with peppers. Whatever you want, you can grow. Now, there are some considerations. If you look at like ancho chilies, um, and if you look at like some videos I did last year in my garden, I've got ancho chili plants and some other chili pepper plants that I'm standing and I'm almost six feet tall and they're up to the top of my head. So those pepper plants can get very large, but you can also prune them and make them more shrub-like. You can prune peppers. I think that's one thing people need to know. Uh, but generally, your better ones are your smaller chilies uh, and your bells and your, your like your mini bells and stuff like that will stay more compact, easier for you. But you really can grow anything you want when it comes to peppers. 
You can get creative. You can grow blueberries. There's a specific specific variety of blueberry called patio blueberry. They're available from Gurney's Nursery and I uh, can't think of the other place right now that I've seen them, but they're getting to kind of be everywhere. Blueberry is another perfect example. Now I've got a perennial. I've got a true perennial in a container. It's going to come back year after year after year. All I'm going to have to do is provide a little fertilizer. Blueberries like a naturally acidic soil, so they're ideal for container gardening. So this is another example. I might have patio blueberries on my patio at my apartment or sitting out in front of my office at my workspace uh, where we lease the property and I can't you know, dig it up or my boss wouldn't let me, but... Um, I also might have patio blueberries or some other type of blueberry in like a half whiskey barrel, even on a five acre piece of property because I can control the soil pH very easily in the container. So patio blueberry. I, I think a lot of people would think, well, one thing that would be very hard to grow in containers would be carrot because carrots grow long and they kind of get restricted growth in a container. But there are certain car carrot varieties that are actually pretty small little carrots and you can certainly, you know, plant some of those. And this is another example. I want carrots. They don't take that long to go to, to full crop. I've got a tomato plant. I've got a great big pot, a great big container. So now I plant carrots all around my tomato plant, like in a circle or a, a square around my container. And I make sure they're far enough away from the walls so the roots can form right, but kind of just surrounding my, my, uh, my tomato. Well, by the time that tomato is big enough to start shading the carrots out, I just go in there and pull all my baby carrots out. So... I might not have got a really high yield of carrot, but it was space that would otherwise have been wasted. And I think that we need to start understanding with containers, since our space is limited, we, we can put two plants, you can do this in beds too, two plants in the space that one really needs, but we can grow one that grows faster to harvest, and then we can go ahead and pull out that tomato. We can even do things like carrots are cold hardy. So we could have those carrots growing for four weeks before it's ready. It's time to put that tomato plant in there. And if we just think ahead and go, I'm going to need to put a tomato in there, right? We just leave a space for the tomato, and then we go in and we insert that tomato plant, and now our carrots are really even closer to harvest. And by that time, a tomato is going to be, you know, kind of taking over the whole container because it's a bully and it will. Those carrots are ready to pull out. So there's so much we can do with that. Then here's the other one. There are what I call, um, there, there's, there's like six essential herbs as far as I'm concerned. Now, I don't mean that in any dictionary way or any way that any uh, great authors ever call it. I just believe that there's six herbs that are essential to my home for my cooking. And I think they also have incredible health benefits. They're incredible herbal medicines, for lack of a better term, because if you've listened to my herbal shows and you've heard how many things these herbs do, they're antioxidant potential, antiviral potential, uh, they're, they're antibacterial activity, uh, they're, they're, just so, they're powerhouses of, of health, and yet we can cook with them every single day, and they are basil, oregano, parsley, sage, rosemary, and chives. And there's absolutely no reason I can't grow every single one of those in containers in a very small area. It's also a great opportunity with certain things for companion planting. Um, I can grow those chives right in with that tomato. I can put them kind of to the front. I can kind of prune the tomato so that one little spot stays open for the chives. They don't need a lot of sun. They'll do great. They have kind of an anti-pest uh, insect activity going on. Onions, the same thing. Anything that's an onion or garlic, even if you don't get a big yield out of it, having one or two growing in your containers will do a lot to keep pests kind of at bay and control them a little bit. Um, there are some considerations here. Um, in the in the right climates, uh, sage, 
and oregano and rosemary, and rosemary just about anywhere, uh, are, are perennial. That means they're going to come back year after year and they're going to get bigger. Oregano, if you don't get very aggressive with trimming it back, will bully anything else out and completely take over a whole container. If you want a container of nothing but oregano, that's not a problem, but you need to know uh, that it can happen. Sage gets kind of woody and thick, like a little mini tree almost. And, and that's fine, and it's a little easier to control, but you have to do some cutting to control it. If you put sage and oregano in the same container, if you're very uh, you know, kind of vigilant with your, your pruning, especially Early spring, the oregano kind of comes back and starts growing faster than the sage does. You can keep those two happy together. If you don't uh, stay aggressive with that, the oregano will absolutely bully out and take over on the sage. So it's one of those things you have to stay on. Rosemary, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody should have a rosemary plant. It should be in whatever container you want it to be in, but it should be by itself. Rosemary turns into a tree. I have uh, a rosemary plant that I planted on the side of my house that I planted in the wrong place. It should have been further back because it's kind of in the center of this bed. It now has trunks bigger than my forearms, and I'm not a small guy. Uh, rosemary is absolutely insane in its growth habitat, and it will bully anything else out. Um, basil is great because it grows, it gets big, it dies, it's an annual. You can harvest tons of seeds off of one plant. Uh, you can have basil every year with never buying but one pack of seeds. And uh, even though it's a bit of a large plant, it's it's controlled because it's not perennial. Uh, parsley is what you call a biannual. And what you want to do with your parsley in your containers is go ahead and overwinter them. And what will happen is you'll get a lot of that nice parsley for cutting early in the second year. Eventually it will start sending up big giant uh, plumes and you can either remove it at that point and use whatever's left of it or you can let it flower. But the kind of vegetation around that parsley, once it starts to do that, is not going to be very, very good for cooking anymore. So it is great to overwinter. You can, And when it's overwintering, if it's doing well, you can take a little bit off it every day going into February and March. But once that secondary growth comes and it completes its life cycle, um, not much there to use other than parsley roots actually a pretty good seasoning as well. Uh, if you can let it go to seed, it's just a matter of do you want that container to be taken up just for some big you know, big plumes of little tiny white flowers uh, and the seed. It's kind of up to you. In a garden bed, it's a wonderful plant. All you do with parsley, uh, you get a parsley is like an herb everybody should grow. And if you have the space to have a bed for it, you have a dedicated parsley bed. And every single year when those flowers come up and go to seed, you just cut the flowers off. You just shake the seeds, hundreds of thousands of them, right back down to that bed. And once you get that cycle into its second year, you can't stop parsley. There will always be parsley there, and it will choke anything else out. All right, so those are the herbs. Onions, I think you're best sticking to your green bunching types of onions, uh, which are great. And there's a cool little trick you can do with onions a lot of times. You get your green onion, it's ready to harvest. You pull it out of your container. And you go and you chop it, and you know that little root ball at the end of it? Leave it about, you know, maybe a quarter to a half of an inch, kind of the best part of the eating part of the onion. But for green onions, hey, you can chop all the way up, right? So leave that little piece. Stick it right back in your container. It'll grow back again. And uh, I think Johnny Max and the Queen had one they were doing in a hydroponic system like that. They called the never-ending onion. They used the they pulled it like every two weeks they pulled it out, chopped everything but that last little piece off, and stuck it back in. And they did it like eight times before the damn thing died. 
So there's a little trick you can do with your green and bunching onions. But containers really are not great for growing your large bulb type onions. There's a lot of pressure that's created that keeps them from bulbing out by the walls of the container, unless it's a very large container. Uh, and it's probably, you know, onions are a thing that you could, you could take some onion sets and a screwdriver and you could honestly grow them all around the, uh, uh, grounds of your apartment complex. They wouldn't even know you were doing it. You take a screwdriver, you wallow out a hole, you stick an onion set in there, you kick the dirt back over it and you walk away. You plant a couple hundred of those and anytime you want an onion, you know where they're at. You walk out, so even apartment growers could gorilla garden onions. And it's not going to cause any problems for anybody. Uh, next, you would think that something like beans, especially a runner bean, would not be suited for containers. And I'm going to, when I talk in the get into getting creative section today, I'm going to tell you how you could grow big runner beans and, and big trellising beans and actually expand your space by using them. But if you do want to keep things compact, there's a, there's a bean variety called Hestia. And it's H-E-S-T-I-A, and I'll have a link to where you can find these things today. But they're a beautiful ornamental plant. They only grow a few, a few feet, and they have like this bicolored kind of like a reddish and, and, and white flower uh, going on. So they're a pretty little plant. They grow a great bean that can be used as a green bean or as a shell bean. And uh, they're definitely something to look at. And again, they're one of those things that when somebody looks at it, So if you are using public spaces for your containers, they're not really going to look at that and see, ooh, look at that big red tomato I'm going to steal. They look at that and go, oh, it's a pretty flower. You know, they won't really realize what it is. And most people would actually probably, if they didn't know what it was, would be afraid to eat any kind of bean once they realized there was a bean there because they wouldn't know whether it was safe to eat or not. So whether it's on your backyard porch or maybe in that office space that you're able to utilize, uh, it might be a really good uh, plant to grow that will be a lot less likely to walk off. Another thing we usually think about planting in great big fields are peas. But there's a variety of pea called Tom Thumb. It's an heirloom from the 1800s, but it was designed as a container plant. And it's a great little plant to have a couple little pots of sitting around on your back deck, maybe started at different time periods so you have some succession. So you have like you know, pot one comes in for a couple weeks and then pot two and then pot three. Because once peas produce their peas, they die. They're, they're a true annual. And, uh, you know, they're just a great little thing for people to be able to snack on while they're sitting out on a deck. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I could keep going. There's almost, you know, can I grow blank in a container? The answer is almost never no. There's even, you know, dwarf varieties of corn that you could grow in a container if you really wanted to. Not very efficient, but it certainly could be done. But what I want to go over to now is self-watering containers. I think that there's huge advances made in the last couple of years with these things, and I want to share some thoughts on them with you today. So there's some real advantages to self-watering containers that are beyond just the fact that you can you know, let the plant kind of take care of itself. You can go away for a week and come back, and your plants aren't dead. You don't have to hire a neighbor to take care of them. You can put them out in, in that, that public space, and you know maybe only once a week you get a chance to water them. The big thing is we really do need to conserve water resources. I mean, that's just a huge thing anymore. I, I don't think that we're going to ever get to a point where we turn the faucet on, at least in our lifetimes, and no water comes out because we're out. We've run out of water. That's It's just ridiculous, and I think people that are telling you that are just con artists that, that want to scare you into buying whatever they're selling. I do think that we're getting to a point where our agricultural capacity for watering is going to be severely depleted, and we're going to have to come up with more creative ways to make sure that the water we are using for gardening 
and for agriculture is efficiently used because we are draining things like the Ogala Aquifer. We, it's happening. There's, there is no doubt about that. Places that produced water for 50 years are now not producing water. And, and, and that just tells you that that giant underground sea is being depleted in a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of the, uh, the agriculture in America today is completely dependent on that type of irrigation. So every little bit we can do to maximize the use of water, the better. And I think we'll also find a place in time where the, the cost of our water is going to drastically increase. Three, four, five times what we're paying for water today. It will still be relatively cheap compared to a lot of other parts of the world. But that doesn't mean that we can just abuse that. So I do think we need to be very conscious of our water utilization and try not to use excessive water. Even if we have a well and we have our own unlimited supply as far as you know practicality, we really need to conserve water. And when we use self-watering containers, so little of that water ever gets evaporated. Almost all of it gets used by the plant. And, and that means that we're being really conservationist with our water. The other thing I want you to start realizing, and I, I didn't really think of this for, for so long, but when you look at um, uh, self-watering containers, creating a water reservoir, and I'll talk about a little bit how they're constructed here in a minute, um, you're really looking at something that I have to call hydroponics light. It's not aquaponics light because there's no fish involved. Though I bet there's a way to pull that off. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But let's not go there today. Um but when you look at hydroponics, what we're doing is we're growing plants in either a medium that's, that's kept constantly wet by water or in, directly in water. And there's all types of little, little to huge hydroponic operations that can be done. We can grow, basically take a window and hang water bottles off it and create a little mini hydroponics garden in a sunny window. But when we look at uh, self-watering containers, we're kind of going to a hydroponics light. Is the only way I can describe it because the water itself can convey nutrients. So if I decide that that tomato plant looks like it could use a little more potassium and a little bit, uh, a little bit more nitrogen, I can take just, let's say, when I go to put my 40 cups of water into my container this week, maybe five cups of it are actually compost tea. And then I'm able to let that wick right through the, 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 the soil that's there. I can add it from top or bottom. I can add nutrient. And, and that, to me, kind of starts to close that gap. Well, the plant is growing in soil, but the water is there at a constant rate. So I think that it, it, we start to think about it that way, and a lot of new opportunities will open up for us if we continue to think about it that way. And, and then ease of fertilization, I think, is huge as well. Like I just said, if I want to add a little bit more nutrient, I can put it directly in my water. And that's going to kind of be like, you know, there's two types of medications we can take or pills we can take, capsule and tablet. And most tablets dissolve relatively, if they're effective anyway, they dissolve relatively quickly and they just kind of dump everything into our system. And then we have capsules that are kind of a time release where they kind of release a little bit, a little bit, a little bit so that that, that, that therapeutic effect takes place over time. Well, when we use a water medium to fertilize, we get more of that kind of long-duration fertilization. So we can use a weak solution of fertilizer, a weak solution of nutrient, but we can provide a little bit of it all week long or longer with a large enough reservoir. Um, and, and I think those are huge. And I also think it is a big deal. It is a huge deal that I could have all this stuff growing in these self-watering containers, and I could go away for a week and I could come back and my plants are doing better than when I left. 
I, I think that's just a massive thing. Let's talk a little bit about what makes a self-watering container work. There's certain characters. This is something that would be a better video than audio, but if you understand the characteristics, and I'm going to give you two awesome resources uh, to build your own with, I, I think that you will uh, you'll be able to come up with a lot of ways to do this and get creative. Because the one video I found on YouTube alone I'll tell you about is just so smart and so simple. But what we need to be able to do with self-watering containers is we need a place where the dirt stops and the water begins and they're separated from each other. We need to allow aeration into the roots. The roots have to be able to breathe or everything becomes soggy and wet. We have to have some points where there is some soil, small channels of soil that go down into the water and it has to be a contained channel. Because if it was just like an opening, the dirt would fall in and just cave in and just the bottom that's supposed to be water would become mud. So we don't want that. We want some kind of a contained channel. And the reason we want that is we have maybe two or four points where the soil goes down into the water and is actually saturated. And then we have that, that, that delineation line, that point where the soil is actually held above the water and the only thing connecting it are a couple channels of this really soggy soil. Those act like a wick. And that allows all the soil to act like a really gentle sponge and just slowly suck the water up. And the deeper you go, the moister the soil will be, and the closer to the surface, the drier the soil will be. So when we put our happy little plants in this great soil, and they're looking for water, what are they going to do? They're going to send those roots down, and since it's not, we're not growing in hard gravel or hard pack, it's a container. We've got beautiful soil that's easy to penetrate. Those roots are just going to go down, 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 down. It's going to get this huge, healthy root system. And then that plant can just sip water at its leisure whenever it needs it. If it starts to get a little bit too hot and it needs more water for more transpiration, it'll just draw a little bit more. If it doesn't need it, it doesn't need it, it doesn't pull it. And that, that becomes a very, very stable, self-contained ecosystem. So that's how we do that. Now, the two resources I promised you. One, again, is a PDF. And uh, this PDF is just awesome. Anyway, the PDF uh, is called, and I had to find it on their website because I just found the PDF using my little uh, file equals PDF trick on Google. I'll put a link to that for you. You can find so many cool PDFs by using this little trick. I'll put a link, again, to my video on how to do that in the show notes today. But it's called How to Build a Self-Watering Planting Container. Uh, it was copyright 2007 by a guy named Josh Mandrell. And, uh, but the, the PDF itself is not branded at all. There's names not in it. It doesn't really say anything. So I had to kind of do some research just to get proper credit on it. But it does say that the document can be used for nonprofit purposes with appropriate credit. So I'm going to put it in today's show notes. I'm also going to put a copy uh, of the link to it in the uh, MSB, even though it's a publicly available free document. Uh, I'm going to start maybe some of these things like this just to kind of keep them in a central point as an added benefit to the MSB. But anybody can get this one. There's no cost to it. But like I said, if this thing costs 20 bucks, I would think it was actually underpriced. It is one of the best PDFs I've ever seen uh, on the subject. It shows you all the stuff that I was just talking about, the principles of self-watering containers. And it shows you, I think it's like five different designs using everything uh, from simple uh, you know, Sterilite uh, tubs. And by the way, my understanding is Sterilite tubs are... Um, not they do not contain BPH for those that are worried about that. So Sterilite, I haven't been able to confirm whether or not the Rubbermaid tubs do or do not. So I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm not saying that Sterilite's better. I'm just saying Sterilite tubs are not do not have BPH. It shows how to use five gallon buckets. It even takes the last one in the design series on it is a huge one 
uh, built out of a, uh, a tank that's like a 100-gallon tank for a boat, so like a giant live well tank for a boat. So he's able to show you how to build out a self-watering, very large container. So from small little flower pot size stuff on up, you've got to check out this PDF. And I think when you look at the designs in it, you know, even like sandwiching two five-gallon buckets together. Really easy stuff to do, very inexpensive to build. And I think, again, once you see the designs that this guy put in this, um, I think you'll be really impressed. And I also think it'll get your mind going. Again, uh, the gentleman I'm giving credit to for the publication, based on what I can find on this website, is Joss Mandrell. And the website I found it on is Seattle Peak Oil Awareness. And that's uh, www.seattleoil.com. They look like they have a lot of really good uh, information as well. They even have... A, um, a brochure on basic preparedness. So I think they think a lot like we do. Uh, they might be a bit on the liberal side, who knows, but I think that we have probably more in common than we don't. So you might want to check out their entire website. Now the other uh, thing that I found is just awesome. It's just absolutely awesome. It's a video on YouTube by a lady that I think you're going to like all her videos if you like today's show. Her, her YouTube channel is called Balcony Grow. And she used the same Rubbermaid tubs, and she made small ones and big ones using the same products. And what I like about what she's doing is she's using 100% recycled or repurposed materials. She takes those big, like, two-and-a-half-gallon water jugs, the ones that, you know, you sit in the refrigerator and have a, a spout on them, you open it and the water comes out, kind of like a little mini office water dispenser. And when they're used up, she cuts them in certain ways, and there's two different ways that she shows you based on the size of the container you're making. And they actually form the base that, the, you know, the water's below them and, and your, uh, your, your dirt and your plants are above them. But she cuts them in such a way that you don't have to worry about putting any type of containment into your wicking system so that when you put like several of them together in the bottom of the tub, they fit tight and then there's these little channels left. So when you put your dirt in, that dirt just goes straight into those channels. It's contained in those channels and of course the water can flow throughout all of the space and you have your wicking all the way set up. Then this is what's really cool. Generally with these containers, they take some type of a PVC pipe or something like that. You cut it a certain way and you stick it in and you pour water down the pipe. Well, that means i got to get a hold of PVC pipe. What she used to create the downspouts is you just take standard water bottles, like the ones you, you know, individual sized water bottles, cuts the bottom off them, sticks one into the hole, and then for however many you need to get up to the, to how, depending on how deep the container is, put one inside the other like funnels. So you might have two or three of those water bottles just stuck together. How do you keep them together? When you backfill the dirt, they're going to be held in place. Awesome, simple, inexpensive. She basically says she builds them for about five bucks because everything other than the tub or the container is completely free. So check out that video. I think those two resources alone uh, are going to add so much to what I've already given you today. And now I want to talk about, now we talk about self-watering containers, crops we can go. I want to talk about getting really creative. Really creative with what you're doing. Number one is I want you to understand there's really no limit to container size. So for those of you that are listening to today's show and thinking, great, now I can grow stuff on my patio, that's, that's awesome. But for those of you maybe that have a huge rooftop you can use in an urban situation, or you know maybe, you're, maybe your company owns a fairly large building and there's a big rooftop up there that nobody ever does anything with. And maybe you live in a little tiny apartment, and maybe just by talking to your boss or your facilities manager, maybe you can get access to that rooftop. And maybe they'll let you grow up anything you want up there. Tell them, hey, once I get this going, I'll, I'll contact local papers, and we can talk about how the company's doing something green. 
sell it if you have to, but get access to the space. And what could we use as containers up there that would be very, very simple to do? How about those little kiddie pools? Those little, little swimming pools for kids? And I bet you, I bet you if you look at the PDF and you get an idea of how the entire system works, I bet you you could figure out how to take two of them, and they sell for what, about ten bucks for a great big one, and turn it into a self-watering container. And I bet if you wanted it to look good, you could even surround it with wood or something so you didn't see the little horsies or whatever on the side of it. And I bet you could make an awesome self-watering container out of a couple kids' swimming pools. Even if you just had to water it all the time, whatever, it's still a very cheap way to hold an awful lot of soil and grow an awful lot of stuff. So a container can be large. One of the things that I've seen done, my neighbors up in Arkansas that are up on top of the hill, and they don't know about permaculture yet because I haven't moved there to show them about it yet, and the soil is all this rocky, silica-hard stuff to, to do, and they have a huge garden. And what they're using, they basically get things like old truck bed liners. So they go to like a junkyard, and there's a truck sitting there with a bed liner in it that's kind of beat up, and nobody really wants it. So the junkyard owner will sell it for like 10 bucks. And they just yank it out of the truck, and then they, you know, build up one side with rocks to contain it on that one side, and there's a container. Ready to go, fill it up with, with compost and soil, and start growing. And there, they have a massive garden. They told me that during the summer, they grow almost 100% of their vegetables, uh, that they use during the summer. And they grow some stuff into the winter as well. And that's the type of thing they're doing there. Uh, and so that container can be any size we want. So we need to think about the fact that, you know, maybe, we want nice, pretty raised beds long term, but maybe we get things going with something like container gardening. So by taking that and understanding that a container can be quite large, we start to change the entire dynamic of what container gardening can be. We also need to get creative with companion planting. I kind of talked about that already, but it's things like growing a little bit of green onion in with your tomatoes and peppers and things like that. Uh, it's great for pest control. It increases yield. If you look at some of my videos from early last year, you can see that even the containers I was growing tomatoes in, I had them just crammed full of stuff that, yes, once the tomato took over, I kind of had to harvest, but I had orach growing in with some of my tomatoes. I had uh, small globe basil. Uh, I had all types of stuff growing, and I just you, you really have, a, like the basil, I know it's it's going to get big, the tomatoes are going to get big, there's not really room for both of them in that particular container, I just have heavily harvest the basil. If you have a big enough container to grow basil and tomatoes together, and you can build one, there's no reason you can't, do it. Um, it basil grown with tomato improves the flavor of the tomato. You'll actually taste basil flavor in your tomatoes when they're grown in close proximity to each other. Companion planting is important because anytime we create a polyculture, which is multiple plants sharing the same space, they benefit each other. There is a symbiotic relationship. Now, there are certain things that don't do well together. Peas and onions are great on your plate, terrible in the garden, right? Peas and onions do not go together in the garden. Um, they have a negative effect on each other. Neither one of them does very well. Fennel is a great herb to grow, but it definitely is kind of a loner. Uh, fennel grown in a, in a proximity with just about anything else has a detrimental effect on both plants. It just it needs kind of its own space. Um, rosemary can grow with anything, but it's going to bully it out, like I talked about earlier. So there are things to kind of keep out on their own. But other than the you know the, the the exceptions, the rule is put as much diversity as you can together. You'll just get so much better, um, so much better results. And again, I can't restate how important it is to think about with containers how many spaces 
would be open to you that normally wouldn't. If you want to start digging a, a vegetable garden at a workplace and your, your, your ownership of that work environment leases the space, they're not going to let you do that. They're not going to be responsible for that. And building management is going to be like, you know, hey, we're, we're not in that business. But again, if you want access to a rooftop or an entry space with a few self-watering containers, it's a very low-tech thing. It's a very simple thing to do. Maybe your office has a great big sunny window that you don't have at home. So maybe in your office, instead of a couple house plants up on the top of your cabinetry or something, you have some self-watering containers with some compact plants that you can grow indoors. So, you know, and maybe you start going around to businesses in your community and say, here's what, here's the deal. If you let me use your space, because there's a great sunny space out here in front of you, I'll beautify your space for you. I'll give you half of whatever we produce, and all I want is the space because I don't have the space. And you could literally spread gardening throughout your community. It's all up to you and how much time you want to spend in it, but if that's done strategically, you could basically, on your way home or on your way to work or on your way to your church or on your way home from church, stop by kind of a little, little like uh, almost like a little paper route, but instead of a paper route, it's a little watering route. And since you have self-watering containers, how often do you need to visit them, really? Once a week. Now, could somebody steal your containers? Could somebody steal your produce? Yes, but you're t I'm talking about creating options here for people that don't have any other options. I'm talking about going from a point of, man, I'd love to do all this gardening Jack talks about, but I can't, to my opportunities are limitless. So one thing about these public spaces, you're probably going to have to go to more of a commercial product. A lot of uh, businesses aren't going to want a Rubbermaid tub sitting out there. So either you're fabricating some kind of a really nice wood, wooden cover, and that might, you know, using scrap wood or something and painting it with sustain or whatever, and that might be, be less expensive than buying a commercial product, or you're buying a commercial product to do things like that. Unless, again, if you can get roof space... Most businesses, as long as it's not going to damage anything, they're going to care less what it looks like up there as long as it's not a rat hole. They're not going to care that it's a kiddie pool. So does it take effort to carry the dirt up there and everything? Yes, but once it's in place, and you can slowly expand that, and again, this is the kind of stuff that local newspapers and local news uh, organizations eat up. And you can make a business look very green, even though you're the one doing the work, but you're the one taking the harvest. And we could literally start to feed people in our cities by doing this. And there's places where it's already being done. It's a matter of opening your mind. And again, the more we can do for self-watering, the, the more we can produce because the less maintenance it requires. And there's a tremendous opportunity here. I think another thing we need to realize is we can get started any time of the year with container gardening. It could be the middle of winter, it could be the middle of summer, because we can create microclimates and we can make the container portable, and we can maybe start the seed in the house and then just move the container outside after the seed gets started, because it's too hot or too cold to germinate right now, but the plant would survive. We can do so much if we'll just think uh, kind of outside the, the grow box, so to speak. So uh, that's another thing we really need to think about. Any time of year I can get started with this. Again, my situation being a perfect example, we're finally moving to the bug out location. I actually want to do earth sculpting. I'm going to bring a piece of heavy equipment in and do that, and that, that's going to delay things. And the soil, I have to build the soil. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got so many things I have to do before I can really turn this into like permaculture nirvana. And it's going to take a year or two. But I can do a lot of production with my aquaponics system that we'll be building in our first year, and I can do a lot, and I will do a lot with containers. 
And even this year where I'm looking at starting at the end of April, which down here, you know, gardening season's been going for like three, four weeks heavily. My buddies are all growing stuff and it's killing me. But I can do this in later into the year. And you can too. You can extend your harvest. It's so much easier to bring 10 containers in the house or into a shed or into a garage for one night on that first early freeze. You know, it's going to be freeze warning, then going out there and trying to cover everything. You bring it in, and a lot of times that first freeze you get of the year, it doesn't freeze again for another two or three weeks. So it's not like you have to, the plants have to live in the house for that long. You bring them in, the freeze comes and goes, the forecast says no more freeze, you put them back outside, and it's up to you how long you want to keep that kind of in and out rotation going. And maybe some of your plants you don't, so you let them go. You know, and you go to something that'll grow in the winter, and some of your plants, you know, maybe you get them all the way through. Again, turning those annual peppers into perennials is just one example of that. Or growing citrus, uh, or growing figs in, in the really northern climates where figs can't make it through the winter. The next thing is, it's really a great opportunity to start doing what Paul Wheaton was talking about and growing from seed directly. So instead of starting that little tomato plant, and if you have a law, if you're in Montana or Idaho or Vermont, you probably have to start your tomatoes indoors. But if you're in a great environment like like we are here, and you're willing to bring that container in once or twice if you get an early freeze, um, you can put that tomato seed right in the ground, never have any transplant shock. Same with peppers, same with eggplant. A lot of the things that we normally start indoors, if we're doing container gardening, we can start straight from seed. We've got great soil. We've got great mulch capabilities. We've got microclimate control. We've got flexibility. If it's not a large container, we can move it to protect it or expose it to certain elements that we want it exposed to. It's just awesome. In fact, we could really easily provide some supplemental heating to get through a very mild frost. Um, just by providing any type of a very small space heater in a relatively s small area just for that one evening. So there's so much that can be done. Um, we could even, with a patio garden, just basically cover, you know, basically take a tarp and cover in the patio and turn it into a greenhouse. Now, your, your apartment management is probably not going to let you do that, but it could be done for a single night and taken down in the morning when, when, the, uh, when the sun comes up and the frost has passed. But once we get into containers, we get so many more options than we get because, again, the container itself is portable. Uh, and last, I want to talk about using vertical spaces. I think this is something that the average apartment owner uh, or, or renter or you know deck gardener or whatever doesn't do efficiently, and it really can increase your growing surface. So I'm also going to provide a uh, link to a video by Bill Mollison called Engraved Danger of Failing Food. And the whole video is worth watching. But what I really want you to watch is a part of it from today, and I'll, I'll try to find it in there and put the timestamp for you in the show notes so you can go right to it if you want to, where he's setting up a garden on a deck. And one of the things he does is he puts a little fish tank in, he puts some frogs in it, and you know he grows some taro root and a little 10-gallon fish tank. And all of a sudden he's got aquaculture built into his, his back deck garden. But the thing that was really cool is he takes some of that lattice like you would use uh, to cover like the underside of a deck with. You know, it's like in, in a kind of an X format shaped like diamonds. Takes a piece of that, puts it on a back wall, and sets it up there. And says, I can do, do another piece overhead. And then in front of that, puts a container and then plants runner beans, scarlet runner beans that are going to grow up the lattice. And he's like, just by taking this five seconds to shove this in here, I've given ourselves, you know, several square meters more of growing space. And all of that back wall now, you know, and that he puts it on the side where it's going to get the most sun, so because it's going to grow high. 
So it, all of that space now that was just open space that wasn't going to be utilized, now I can grow a crop like a true runner bean. So I think vertical spaces are something we really need to think about when we're looking at container gardening. So I hope you can tell, I was really excited about today's show, and I dumped a tremendous amount of information. This is probably one of those shows where the person listening to it's going, stop, stop, it's too much. But, you know, when I get excited about a topic like this, that's when I, when I can dig into it and pull all these things out. So maybe it's something you listen to more than once. But all of a sudden, I, I hope that you're realizing there's so many more options than you thought there was that you just taking a pot and sticking a tomato in it. And there's so many more reasons to do this. If you're space challenged and land challenged, yes. But I don't care if you have 80 acres in a homestead. Containers still make sense for certain things. It's a great zone one permaculture technique. You, the stuff, you know, you want to walk out your door and have it there. Well, maybe, you know, we had a question from a listener in the past that said, I'm a, I'm a pest technician. You know, I deal with termites and things like that. And you don't want mulch and stuff growing right up against the side of the house. Well, you put that stuff in containers. And now you've got, you walk out the door and there it is. And But you've got all that flexibility built in with it. We think of containers as these five-gallon containers and down. Well, now we realize we can take a hundred-gallon boat tank and turn it into a giant self-watering garden. And there's so many ways we can do this. And, you know, Paul Wheaton was on, he did a show about the elimination of irrigation. But self-watering containers, it's not an elimination, but it's a very efficient use. And I want you to realize something. When I bring people like Paul, or even opinions of my own, or anybody else on, and they say, well, like, don't do this, do this. Those are opinions. I'm one of the few people out there that markets myself as an expert and still says, what I tell you is opinion. It's opinion based on my experience and my growing regions and what I've done. And there's very few facts in the world. You know, facts are things like the law of gravity. You drop shit, it falls. That's a fact. The right way to grow a tomato, there's a hundred right ways to grow a tomato. And you're going to get a hundred different types of results and they may all be positive. What I want you to understand, especially in gardening shows and in, in, in any kind of like redneck engineering projects and things like that, it's not right versus wrong. It's, it's here's what I did and here's what my results were and now you take that and do things your way. Now your way may be worse and you may get worse results. Your, may, your way may produce equal results but it was using the resources you had available. Or your way might produce exceptional results that are better than mine. Your way might produce better results in your region, and if I did it in my region, I would get poor results, and we're going to optimize them for ourselves. That's why I try to stick to with the Survival Podcast, from everything from food storage to gun ownership to self-defense to liberty principles and ideals, high-level concepts that you can break off and kind of use like an erector set or a tinker toy set and fit them together in a way that marries themselves to your lives. Nothing could be more of the case than when we talk about gardening and container gardening and permaculture. Every person is unique. The amount of time you want to invest, the type of food you like to eat, what the temperature outside your door in January versus June is, every person's unique. Someone in the tropics that has a pretty stable temperature throughout the year is going to do differently than a person like me in Texas with a long growing season, but yes, it freezes. And I'm going to do things differently than a person in Vermont with a much shorter growing season, but much greater rainfall. And they're going to do something uh, different than somebody who has a very similar climate from temperature standpoint, but a very different soil type and a very different rainfall like somebody in Montana. It's all going to be different, and it's supposed to be different. That's what makes it so awesome. But what we all can do, 
And that's what I promised you yesterday when I said I wouldn't tell you what today's show was about. Was It was a show where everybody listening can do something with it. What we all can do is we can all stand up collectively and say, damn it, I will control at least one part of the food that goes into my body. I will control it. It will be mine. I will provide it. I will provide it for myself with the resources around me. It will be healthy. It will be good for me. And I will. And we can all, 20,000 of us that are part of this community now, give a collective middle finger to big agriculture and say, you know what, there's certain things we need to rely on you for, but to put food on our plate every single day, we don't need you for that. We can take some of those days back. We can take some control back. And we can teach our children with something as simple as a pot with a tomato and a pepper coming out of it that every time you eat food, somebody put effort. Somebody put effort in to produce that food. It does not come in a shiny box from a shiny store. That's not where food comes from. It comes from the earth. And that's why we need to respect and care for the earth. And there is no more important lesson that you can teach your children than that. We don't need to be a, a granola-chewing hippie, and I have no problem with you if you are. I'm just not one. We don't need to be a left-wing whack job to understand that we have to take care of our planet. And the, one of the biggest ways we can become connected to the planet is to understand that 100% of what we put in our bodies is nutrition and food comes from the earth. That's a great lesson to teach your kids. It's a great lesson to learn from yourself, and it's a great way to begin freeing yourself from the system. And with that, I think I'll sign off today. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
shoot.